on the outside. No button down low yet. Centering pass. That didn't work. Matthews, the drive. He scores! There's number 40. Five years in a row. Pleasure to play with him and obviously thrilled uh, to, to uh, you know, be a teammate and, and uh, uh, to go uh, compete uh, with him every single day. Obviously, uh, when we go out there and play as a team, but uh, even just the way he uh, pushes the group, uh, um, you know, leads the group in so many ways and, and how he makes people like me better. I just try and stay consistent, trying to, you know, work every night. I mean, I don't think tonight was necessarily our best uh, game uh, as a line, but I just thought we stayed patient. Um, I don't try to just stay with it, stay with it, um, get an opportunity on the power play and, and, and make good on it. But, um, you know, I just think... Uh, Taking care of our own ends is the most important thing, and when we're doing that, it's uh, much easier to plan the offense. Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 5.9 the fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. Here's the bad news about Austin Matthews. 40 goals start through 46 games this season. 4017 games, but 46 for him. Mm. Is that now, with that one-goal performance against the Winnipeg Jets on Slouch. Saturday, the shooting percentage is unsustainably high at over 20%. Mm. 20.2%. Now, his career shooting percentage is 16.1. And we talked about, okay, it's uh, perhaps normalizing after last year's 12.2%. And I guess maybe you can go through a whole season where your shooting percentage is over 20%. And if there's a guy that's going to do it, it's him. But his career high in shooting percentage before this season, for an entire season, was the North Division 41 that he scored in 52 games where he shot 18 and a half percent. So is that, Brent, mm -hmm. reason to believe that this this gentleman, uh, who by the conclusion of maybe next year at the earliest is going to be the franchise leader in goals scored, is that is that fuel to the fire that like seventy probably out of reach this season? Yeah, I hate to be this guy. I I I if I were in my car, I would just want somebody to tell me Austin Matthews can score eighty goals this year. But I've been I'll play the role of that guy. Yeah, okay. I I've been long uh, on the page that uh, guess what? He's going to have you know just an awful year where he eclipses the sixty goal mark but doesn't get to seventy. That's kind of where I've sat on the shooting percentage thing. It's real. Like I don't think that's remotely sustainable. To your point, if anybody can have a year like that. It is somebody like him. You know, the guy I, I was looking at uh, last year for that was Tage Thompson. Like, he was a guy who had a big, big year. But even he finished with 16% shooting percentage, which is not uh, obviously nowhere near the 20. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's a number to, to keep in mind. But I, I think that he's going to have an incredible year. And, you know, the point to make about him that we actually haven't made because it doesn't need to be hammered home is that he wasn't particularly good on Saturday night. Like, he shot it in the net yep. really hard, but he had a couple of giveaways that nearly nuked them early on in that game. And again, you know, we talk about floors versus ceilings. His floor is a lot higher than most, even on a night where he's no good, and you shoot it like that, it can paper over a million things. It does it for Nick Robertson. Of course, it's going to do it for a guy who's won a heart trophy, but that's the thing about Matthews. It makes him so special is that on a night where, quite frankly, did not have it, as far as Matthews' games go, that was not a good one. It still makes a difference. Yeah, and that's a 5-on-5 five and five on, on the power play. They scored a couple, and his goal comes on the power play. Give him 10 power play goals this season, which is actually on pace for more. I mean, everything's more more than a season ago. But yeah, he only had 13 total power play goals a season ago, which was three off actually his career high is 16, right? Like what if, what if this power play gets to where it wants to be? Which is like there are a lot of numbers to suggest that it's not that different from a season ago and just everybody else's power play is much better, right? Like yep. we had the Oilers last year at over 30% and the Leafs were second at 26 point whatever, and they're in and around 26 
6% this season, but they're ninth in the NHL. What if this team does figure it out on the power play? Yep. I mean, it looks a lot better than they have the first 47 games of the season. I mean, if you, again, if you're making arguments pro and con towards Austin Matthews in the 70-goal campaign, also I would look at the second-half schedule. And have you have you looked at the, the the next eight games upcoming for the Toronto Maple Leafs? I haven't because uh, they don't play one for eight years. Is yeah. my understanding. Okay, so yeah, they they don't play until after the All Star game, obviously, which is today. this this yeah. this weekend. But they they start a stretch of eight games in which four of them are against non playoff teams, and only two of them are against teams that are currently in the top three of their division. So potentially time to make up ground standing wise mm. for them, but also goal scoring time. Yeah, there's some element to that, but we've seen this movie before with the Leafs. The The Leafs don't, generally speaking, and it's not always the case, but they don't have their problems against the upper echelon teams. It's the ho-hum Wednesday night against a ho-hum team that has been the kind of bugaboo for them lately. And just quickly on the power play, I know Frank's there. I just want to make this point as well, is that it's nice that their power play is clipping along at roughly the same percentage, but it's not good enough to just be that. The reason those other power plays are there is because there are penalty kills that have struggled like the Leafs are. So yes, you're ninth and yes, 25% is a good number, but there's no reason why you can't be higher than that and top five or something along those lines. Yeah, the best in the NHL. I mean, when you got, yeah, $50 you know, million second, dollars second worth best. of... It's tough to... It's tough, and I know they don't even have the best one, but it's like, it's tough to say you have to have a better power play than the Oilers. Tough to say. You should have a better power play than the Oilers. All right. Or at least it's good. Uh, it is like hockey week in Toronto as... Um, all the, the the biggest names in hockey, Sidney Crosby, Connor McDavid, Frank Saravelli are going to be in this city for uh, the all-star break and uh, the uh, drafting of the teams on Thursday, the skills competition on Saturday, and then the game, or sorry, the skills competition on Friday and the game on Saturday. Let's talk to the aforementioned Frank Saravelli, who is our insider, brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. It is Frank Saravelli, president of hockey content for DailyFaceOff.com. How's it going, Frank? Pretty good, guys. How are you? Good. You looking forward to your uh, sojourn to Toronto? Always. Um, yeah, we're we're looking forward the to the literal you. center of the hockey universe this week. Yeah, yeah, I know. not yeah. this, not usually just the self-proclaimed one. No, it's true. Um, and you know what? There are no more Sheldon Keith needs to be fired conversations because that oh. was like that was a boy. It, it, it and it wasn't. I I I think Brent and I were pretty consistent with our take that Sheldon Keith has done a good job, but maybe firing him is the only recourse you have if you're not going to make a big trade. But yeah, there was a legitimate conversation surrounding that. When the Leafs are on a four-game losing streak, they win three in a row. You get great goaltending. You score in the power play. Things look a whole lot different. Where, where are you on this Toronto Maple Leafs team at the break? It's funny how that works, isn't it? You lose four. Everyone wants a head on the tarmac, a body on the tarmac. You win a couple. The power play looks good. All of a sudden, ah. This team's pretty good. Um, where am I? I think this is a team that has been better than average, but not much more than that. And when you consider, I think, really some of the deficiencies that this group has, I think they're kind of right where they should be. And I think they've got a pretty significant amount of surgery to do. The big question is, will it get done by March 8th, or is this something that's going to be lingering well into the summer? 
Yeah, I think those are uh, those are questions uh, we're all kind of asking. And, you know, I'm sure the guy who ultimately decides, or at least one half of the equation, and I mean that by the GM he'd have to trade with there, is, is Brad Living. But he'd point to the players. He's going to say, all right, show me. You got a month here, let's or a month and change after the break. Let's, let's see what it looks like. You know, you mentioned there in terms of the Leafs are exactly where they should be or a team like this should be. You know, a conversation we were having, you know, heading into the Christmas break around December was, is the NHL a little different this year with the lack of kind of true contenders? And I feel like that conversation's died down because some teams have really started to separate themselves. I mean, you see what the Avalanche are doing. The Oilers are going on this run. You know, maybe you weren't a believer in this at the time, but I feel like there's been a lot of talk of the NHL having much more of a kind of mushy middle than than in years past. Do you think that's kind of starting to change and the cream is kind of starting to rise to the top like like we've seen in years past? Yeah, I don't know any better way to explain it than a player who is actually looking to be traded right now. I was talking to him a couple of days ago, and he's we were talking about my trade targets list, and he says, why isn't there any activity? Yeah. And he goes, well, look at the standings. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, there's five elite teams. There's like 22 okay teams. And then there's five really god-awful teams that don't have a prayer or hope. And I was like, oh, that's a pretty easy way to explain it. And it is like, I just look at the East so differently than I look at the West. I mean, I think the seven teams that are bound for the playoffs in the West that are more or less locked in are on a totally, it feels to me like they're on a totally different stratosphere than the teams in the East. And I know that the Boston Bruins are tied for the league lead in points. And I don't know if it's last year's playoff exit that hangs in you know, my head or or perhaps some of the observers who have said that about the East this year, I'm not taking anything away from the Florida Panthers either, but look at the way the Rangers have played. They're still leading the Metro. The Hurricanes have had their struggles this year. The Flyers are in third place and they've lost five in a row. And I don't know that anyone takes them seriously. So that's sort of the tough way to, to go about looking at the deadline is, do you, do you look at it as, well, that just means things are wide open and, and we should be aggressive? Or do you look at it and say, oh, it's more or less a coin flip. I'm going to keep my assets held tight. Yeah, I mean, you can you can easily kind of talk yourself into either side of the equation. Just as you were saying that, you know, it's funny, and we see this in, in all sports where things are kind of cyclical, you know, maybe one conference is loading up and then another, you know, kind of tanks for lack of a better term, and then, you know, stars kind of swap. Last year at the deadline, every team, in the East said, we're not doing a tweak. We're going out and getting something major. Do you think, and to your point, maybe there's just the lack of true contenders, but with them all being in the West, much like we saw last year with the East where every team felt like they had to load up to do something, do you think we start to see that where there's a a bit of an arms race among those teams in the Western Conference because they're all centralized out there, whereas, you know, if there were a couple teams in the East, a couple teams in the West, maybe they don't feel as much impetus. I also think it's market-dependent. Like I look at this trade deadline and and just put out a fresh trade targets board on Friday. If, if you were to just take the Calgary Flames players off the board, Lindholm, Monahan, right. Hannafin, Tanev, or sorry, Monahan's not there anymore, of course. But you take those guys off the board, who are we really getting excited about? Mm. It, it's a tough market. I think it's a tough market to want to get into an arms race and load up. And I think some teams, there's some obvious holes, but if I'm 
the Florida Panthers or if I'm the Dallas Stars, teams that don't, like you could maybe make a tweak here or there. I, I don't see any obvious holes for the Stars. Maybe a third third pair defenseman. Same thing for, for Florida. I mean, Colorado is kind of easy. You go, okay, second line center, that makes sense. But outside of the obvious ones, if you're if you're one of those seven teams in the West, the way I'd be looking at it is I, I want to be competitive for the next 10. If I'm Vancouver, I want to be competitive for the next 10 years. Mm. I don't want to lop off the last four years and our chance to compete because I went crazy this year and traded away a bunch of prospects and first-round picks. Mm. Uh, one guy that isn't on your top 30 trade targets um, that we were talking about last week, and it becomes less relevant that the more Elias Samsonov looks like the guy with the near 920 save percentage, is UC Soros, who's not... You know, the, the Predators don't have to do anything if they don't want. He's still under contract for $5 bucks next season. They are now on the outside of the Western Conference playoff picture looking in. Is there a scenario in which he moves? I mean, you want to talk about difference makers. How about a guy who's what? He's been top 10 in, in Vesna uh, uh, voting the last three years, like, and, and a guy that's not yet 30 years old? Like, that guy could be it. And a guy who's an absolute horse. Like, he can routinely play 64 67 he's on track for i think another 64 games this year and his numbers are good um i i think the preds are truly waffling and going back and forth you saw potentially some news last week i think it was that they might be open to considering some offers and then i talked to barry trotz had him on my podcast in november mid-november last time i was in toronto for hall of fame and he said, no, no, this is the guy that we're signing long-term. And I'm like, okay, well, which one is it? And I think they're they're torn. Like, it's, it's a good problem to have in the sense that you have the franchise centerpiece goalie, and for your team to really get where it's going, sign that guy to a six-year deal, and you're set. You, you know, set it and forget it. You don't have to think about it again. Or you could really, you know, jumpstart your rebuild – and and get some significant assets and then turn the ball over to Yaroslav Askarov in net, who is obviously a promising prospect and hope that he can carry the ball for a bit. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting, right? There's so many teams that, you know, would have been gun shy to take a goalie there. The the spot they took him, I think it was 10, 12 overall, whatever it was. But when you're the Preds and you have the track record, you do it. It's kind of easy to say. And yeah, you know, obviously, uh, you know, that's a, that there's a version of that where the Leafs have kind of bandied that about. We talk about it there. The idea of, you know, is Saros the kind of perfect guy to join at the hip with Joe Wall until you figure out if, if Wall is the guy or not. The other thing that's so interesting. Saros is, would more or less block Joe Wall. No, no, no. That's, I, the, that's the question you'd be getting. Well, for one more year. Well, the, the, this is the, so, you know, actually, let me ask you about that with Tre Living specifically. Cause you know, I think that, you know, past performance is a, you know, is the best indicator of future performance. True living, mm -hmm. you know, in a, in a league where a lot of GMs have been content to certainly the one who used to be here, content to roll the dice on goaltending. That's not been true living's way. You know, he went out and got Markstrom. We know Vladar was a guy mm -hmm. who's been there. How much do you think that bleeds into the way he wants to build this team out? And, you know, Samsonov obviously kind of built, uh, you know, finding his footing here has, you know, stayed the tide for now. But when you think when Brad true living closes his eyes and, 
builds a hockey team. Do you think he is maybe on a smaller side of the GM pile that still really feels like that position needs to be a priority or at the very least not an afterthought? Because it does feel like that is becoming more of a, you know, commonplace idea in today's NHL. But I don't know, just looking at the teams that Treliving's built in the past, that he necessarily feels that way. Yeah, I want to stop you there because I don't think that anyone that's a manager in today's NHL is looking at it saying, oh, that position is an afterthought. Okay, afterthought or, was too strong. You're right. But or, or something that's not consequential. I think what they've realized is that unless you're getting one of the five or seven truly elite goalies in the league, and, and I would include Soros in that category, mm-hmm. that you're instead of paying the mid-tier guys like I mean, just look at look at the guys that have been signed in the last couple of years. Corpus Salo, he's I think he's dead last right now in save percentage. Then you've got Jack Campbell, who's in the minors. Like the guys that have been in the four, five, six million dollar range have almost not worked out at all. And Soros is maybe the exception because when he signed that deal, it was the largest deal for a goalie at the time with his relative lack of experience. So it was a market trend setter at the time. Now you look at it and you say, Oh, well, that's just a a nice, a a perfect contract. So to answer the first part of your question, I would say, I do think Brad tree living is one of the managers in the league that puts more of an emphasis on the goaltending part of it, or at least feeling comfortable and confident about it when you lay your head on the pillow that you have one of the guys that's in the top tier Mm. Uh, at the time that he was signed, Markstrom has, you know, he was there and that was a big contract to dole out, but the market correction has been, and and you'll see it this summer will likely be to take those guys that are in the $5 million range and try and squeeze them down to two or three. And what you're really going to see is a lot shorter term that, you know, teams, instead of giving the five-year deal, they're giving the two or three, and they're saying, we because of the incredible, you know, nature of the position and how it's in flux every year and what you get from one year to the next, you know, you can't accurately predict, well, then we need to treat how we pay the position the same way. And that's, I think, the really smart market connection correction outside of those top five or seven guys. Samsonov just winced uh, well, hearing that. Okay, so I, I actually want <laughs> well, but, to get... So, yeah, okay. But he, that's why he only got one year I through totally arbitration. Agree. No, totally agree. Because they said, you know what? You had a great year, but just because you had a great year last year doesn't mean that you will this year. Right, and that... And we have Joe Wall coming. And by the way, like, while we have this Soros conversation, who's to say that Joe Wall isn't the next Soros? Who knows? I, certainly like, I, think, he, I think he actually might be. Sure, if he could get on the ice every once in a while. Uh, that'd be good. Okay. Well. Yeah. I know. No. I, I, mean, I, I as, just for as the record, they say I, you can't make the club from the tub. I mm. just. I. That's a great line. I also just want to say I loved you saying that, and it made me perk up in a in a way that makes me uncomfortable at eight twenty in the morning. So I'm just very happy about that. But front. on the Samson yeah, off makes front, me uncomfortable hearing that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on the Samson off front, though, I I, I think I. And I, I'm still mostly in the in the, the of the mindset that the the, the guy is just going to play out the string here uh, as a Maple Leaf and then head to free agency and sign somewhere else and try and rehabilitate his value maybe on a shorter term deal and then re-enter the market. But the more like this, rehabilitate for the third time in his career. Well, yeah, 
That's I mean, that's really what we're looking at right now. Right. He leaves the Caps, rehabilitates once with the Leafs, then in the middle of this year rehabilitates, yeah. and then to rehabilitate, it's just the nature of the position. Right. Maybe there's nothing wrong with him. No, maybe. I mean, he was – you would like for – if the season is going to end with him in and around a 900 save percentage, you'd like that to be a little more consistent over the the, the course of whatever, 40 games or whatever that he starts this season, not like the 860 guy followed by like a 960 guy. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it, all shapes and sizes, I suppose. I what I was gonna get at though is that like the way the season is shaping up for him, and it all depends on how the, the the second half of the season goes and where Joe Wall is, and you know whether Martin Jones plays another game for this Leafs team. I think the possibility exists that he doesn't. Um, but yeah, the, the the way this season is shaping up for Samsonov again, like when he hits free agency, I don't think anyone's gonna be falling over themselves to hand him some huge deal. That maybe the like. The one, to, like the short-term deal again in Toronto to be the tandem with him and Joe Wall next season, maybe that's not out of the realm of possibility. I would bet you a mortgage payment it doesn't happen. <laughs> it's unlikely. I, I mean, think so. put yourself in Brad Tree Living's shoes and the management team. You just went through this stretch where you mm -hmm. had to send him to the minors for 10 days right? for him to essentially do a full reboot. Sure. Like, remember when you you, you took the cartridge out of the Nintendo and you mm -hmm. used to blow on it? Oh, it like, didn't yeah. work, that, apparently. That's essentially what, like, we had a 10-day stretch of that for Samsonov. Yep. So if you are, given what we just talked about, mm -hmm. if you're one of those people that really feels like you need the security blanket in the summer and you've got this you know, burgeoning up and coming guy in wall, what you're going to want is someone to support that feeling. And that's no matter what happens between now and the rest of the year, just like Jack Campbell in, in Toronto, once you go down this path, you probably can't ever get it out of your head. Mm. I mean, but I, is the, unless you're getting a Soros, like who is that guy that you feel like, hey, here's the thing. I know I'm going to get a 905 save percentage out of this guy. Like that guy doesn't exist. Like you're just as likely it, to get it out of That's the point Samsonov. of the position. Yeah. Uh, to me, you're just as likely the, to get it out of make the next reasonable, year. You cannot make a reasonable bet on almost any guy outside of the top five or seven. Yeah, I don't. Know. I don't disagree with you there. Uh, one quick one for you before I let you go, uh, Frank. Not regarding goal. Well, a little involving goaltending, but not really. We saw Matthews eclipse sixty goals two years ago. We saw two guys do it last year. Matthews has got forty already, and that feels incredible. But oh, Sam mm -hmm. Reinhardt is just three behind him. What do you think is led to the big time goal scoring numbers from individual players? Like scoring is up a touch across the league, but it's remarkable to see the dam kind of break the the way it has since Matthews uh, eclipse sixty. I mean, you know, it'd been so long since we had seen it since then. Do you think this is you know expansion? It hasn't happened yet, but there's been talk of a watered down league, you know, power or penalty kill percentages are way down. Do you have a theory on why we're seeing such impressive individual goal totals from or goal totals from individual players over the last couple of seasons here? Well, my theory more explains offense as a whole instead of the individual goal scorers. I think part of the individual part is just pure confidence. Like you look at, at Reinhardt and Matthews and the way that they've torn through it this year, like they're just, they're unconscious. They're this, they have this swagger. It's like this thing when they walk in the building, you know that they're scoring that night, which is mm -hmm. incredibly scary to go up against, I'd imagine. But as a whole, I think the, the 
we're on our way to seeing a correction in goaltending, I think. And I think it's purely stylistic. And I think part of the reason why some of the guys that have had success this year in net are is because of the way that they play. Joey Decord in Seattle. Uh, you've got Joe Wall in Toronto. You've seen flashes of Joel Hofer in St. Louis. Any of these guys that play the new modern style, they're the ones that are succeeding in net, and the rest of them are all trying to catch up. And what I mean by that is for the last six years or seven, shooters have had an incredible advantage. The way the teams have moved the puck cross ice to make things happen has led to this resurgence in offense and scoring. And you can see it especially played out on the power play and how successful teams are with that. But I think with at some point, whether it's coaching or whether it's goaltending, you're going to see that change and you're beginning to see the very start of it shifting back because goalies had the advantage for, Mm. I don't know, 20 years and then shooters moving the puck equipment, everything else they've had, They've enjoyed the advantage the last little while, and I'd imagine it'll balance out a little bit more. No, I like it this way, and, and we didn't have to. In- I think everyone the size does. of the nets. Like, yeah, no, I I, I like it a whole lot. God, <laughs> remember the the bowed nets we oh, saw yeah. that image of? Thank I. I'm so happy we don't live in a world where that's what hockey looks like. Yeah, no, it's. Uh, remember it's a- when goalies wore like sleeping bags on their legs? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Remember no, how like re- you watch highlights from the 70s and 80s and you see how ridiculous the game was? Oh yeah. Like they didn't even drop down. Bring mm-hmm. back the fake clapper and then just skate around them. Bring yeah, that back. Good yeah. move. Bring uh, back the clapper down the wing. Oh yeah. John Leclerc style. Oh yeah. Love that. Uh, Frank, uh, always a pleasure. Uh, hope you have a great time here in our fair city. Oh, well, maybe I'll see you guys at some point. Well, we should get well, together. Yeah, I, I would love that. Uh, but yeah. It's uh, a date. Give, a, give us a ring. See you, All buddy. Right. See you then. All right. There's Frank Servelli, president of hockey content for dailyfaceoff.com. He was our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit donvalleynorthlexus.com. Let me give you a sampling of the pending unrestricted free agent goaltenders that are mm. available. Matt Murray tops the list as far as hey hey cap you hits. joke Kipper said he's coming back man I mean Mark Andre Fleury okay okay thirty nine years maybe. old maybe Chris Drieger okay it's a, it's a human Capo Kakinen uh, the other one from uh, San Jose yeah uh, Pavel Fransuz Eric mm. Comrie mm. Casey DeSmith Laurent Brossois oh the greatest backup of all time. James Reimer. Ugh. Okay, like any of these guys are kind of like interchangeable and are likely to give you a good start as they yeah. are a bad start. Just like Ilya Samsonov. At least you have an understanding of the player. I'm just saying that of all the, the scenarios that could have played out this season, yeah. very few of them could I have envisioned him coming back at any price. But it was mostly like, oh, I thought he would replicate something mm-hmm. along the lines of what he did a, a season ago. And the Leafs aren't likely to pay him any amount of money to 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 not be the bona fide number one starter on this team. This is kind of the one scenario where I was like, oh, maybe this guy is again in the mold of rehabbing his mm-hmm. season. And again, you'd have to have like a Martin Jones type bubbling below the surface. <laughs> but maybe by next season, it's that guy beast. is Dennis Hill to be. Like I could, I could just see it where what is is making the same three and a half million dollars on a one year deal next year. Is he going to do better than that in free agency? I could see the Leafs being on board with that to a certain extent. I think the problem with that theory is that if you're Ilya Samsonov, 
and you saw how this went and the mental stuff is so important. Right. And look, to your point, if you build yourself up in Toronto, it's more important than doing it anywhere else. But if you don't, it's also a bigger spotlight than anywhere else. And I can see a world where Treliving says, okay, this was not my bet that I made. He sure. was here. Uh, we're good. We'll move on. And I could also see a world where Samsonov says, if my agent's going to tell me I can get something close. And guess what? If the Leafs are going to want him back, it's going to be with some performance that some team is going to give him something close to what the Leafs will want to pay him, I think. Whatever it is, uh, I, it's hard for me to imagine that the counting stats are going to be anything short of awful at the end of the season, at least in the regular season. But if he goes out and outperforms a couple of goalies in the postseason like he did yep. against Andre Vasilevsky, future Hall of Famer yep. in six games last year, I guess nothing's off the table. All right, when we come back, let's talk to a Super Bowl champion. Mm. Joe Theismann next as the Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Annis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Merrick Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Ben Annis, Brent Gunning. We have our Super Bowl matchup. Chiefs, Niners, Niners favored. Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant. Looking rather irrelevant for the first half against the Detroit Lions, but coming back pretty uh, relevant now with a, a pretty strong vengeance in the second half, getting himself to his first ever Super Bowl against Patrick Mahomes, who's looking for his third victory. Let's talk to a man who knows what it feels like to win a Super Bowl. Joe Theismann joins us online right now. How's it going, Joe? Thanks for doing this. Yeah, you're welcome, Ben. Good to join you and Brent. Um, it was quite a weekend of football. Yeah, it was. Um, both games living up to the hype. Let's start with the, the first game, the AFC Championship game. And once again, we find Patrick Mahomes in a Super Bowl. And uh, that was not uh, a given, uh, given the Chiefs season this season and the offensive weapons at his disposal. Where do you put his performance yesterday? Because it, it, they didn't rack up points. In fact, I had zero in the second half. But he didn't turn the ball over. He has yet to throw a pick this postseason. Um, how do you evaluate this postseason compared to some of the previous and, and yeah, a, another Super Bowl appearance for him? I, I think you see where experience makes a big difference. Having been in those moments, managing his game as well as managing the football game, there's, there's two things at the quarterback position. You manage the way you play the game. And then you manage the way the game is called by coaches. But the biggest difference of camp for Kansas City in the last three weeks has been the ability of their receivers to hold on to the football. The catch Travis Kelsey makes, the throw that Patrick makes is the, the touchdown to Kelsey. Um, this, these, are the, these are what people expected from Kansas City all year. And it just so happens that they put the ball on the ground. There was a stretch four or five weeks where they just kept putting the ball on the ground. Everybody wondered what was going on. And then the last three weeks, they've turned it on and looked like the Kansas City Chiefs that everybody expected to see. But, you know, I thought Patrick was very masterful in the way he threw the football, the way he managed the game, and I think he was downright lucky on some of them. Yeah, I mean, there's there's luck that plays a part in, in all of this, and, you know, you need your teammates to help you out, right? Like, we've sat here writing the story yeah. of Patrick Mahomes, rightfully so, but the point I keep bringing up, and, hey, lots of guys have had, you know, players help him out, but Chad Henney had to come in and convert some big fourth downs, uh, you know, a couple of years ago to help this Chiefs team. Like, there have been a lot of times where you've needed help, and the help's gone against him, right? We remember D4 jumping offside against the Pats uh, a few years ago as well. You know, the thing sure. I want to talk about with Mahomes there is, you know, exactly 
exactly what you've kind of said is the best teams are able to win when they are not at their best or they're not, you know, performing at their peak of their powers. It's just find a way. And that is what has impressed me so much about Mahomes. I mean, I don't want to take away anything from the first run of career we've seen from him, but, you know, with Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey at full strength and the weapons that he's had available to them, you say, yeah, it's been nice to see and he's taken advantage of that. This year, that wasn't the case. To your point, they have guys who couldn't catch a flu at various times this year. What do you think it says about Mahomes that he was able to kind of be that stabilizing force? Because this wasn't the transcendent Patrick Patrick Mahomes. Forget yesterday, but really at at all this year. See, I actually, I don't agree with that. I thought Patrick had a heck of a year. And and you made a great point. The The reason I don't agree with it is I thought Patrick threw the ball well. I thought he managed games well. They dropped it at inopportune times. We saw the Detroit Lions do this. You know, the Lions looked like they put on Kansas City Chief uniforms from the earlier in the season. <laughs> key, key, key fourth down. Uh, guys wide open dropping the football. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's, basic. that's basically what happened. Patrick was putting the ball where it belonged. Kelsey dropped two, three balls a game. You had all these different instances where it, you know, it really echoes the sentiment that I've always talked to you guys about. It's the quarterback position is the single most dependent position on the field. When you've got guys making plays, you look great. Mm-hmm. When you have guys putting the ball on the ground, now you have to manufacture things. As soon as you start trying to manufacture something, you get in trouble. Like, for example, Brock Purdy. Didn't, you know, he, he didn't throw the ball that great. He doesn't throw the ball that hard. But he made some great runs late in that game. Key third downs. Moving the ball. He's done the same thing in the last two weeks. I mean, this is, this is an exciting Super Bowl. I mean, you've got you know, Patrick going for his third. Brock, like you said, um, but we, we should, they, they really shouldn't refer to him as Mr. Irrelevant anymore. Mm-hmm. Everybody talked about, well, you got the guy taken last in the draft against the three quarterbacks that were the best, you know, number ones. Where you get drafted doesn't matter. It's what the team is around you that matters. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I, 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 the only thing, I think Patrick threw the ball. I think Patrick had a heck of a year. He didn't have the numbers because he didn't have the support. Now, you look at what they look like when he gets the support. It's quite impressive. Well, Lamar Jackson. How about the the catch that Ayuk makes? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, mean, I know I'm jumping ahead to another game, but you don't don't think that's a difference? Yeah. You don't think that makes a world? That goes from interception to basic touchdown, uh, and and it's, it's crazy. And then you go on the Baltimore side, and you can't. You know, you you have to play this game with emotion, but you can't play it with stupid emotion. You can't taunt people. Mm-hmm. You can't commit penalties. You you know, it's hard enough to win in this league when you, you turn around and help somebody else beat you. And that's basically what Baltimore did. Yeah, they helped the Kansas City Chiefs beat them. Yeah, Zay, Zay Flowers makes up for the taunting penalty um, with the next uh, catch to get into a, a goal to go situation. Then, of course, fumbles at the goal line. But then after that, Lamar Jackson throws into triple coverage and throws his one and only pick of the game with the Ravens within a score. And, and you know, he picks up his second postseason victory in the divisional round against a Texans team that was very much happy to be there. But he was great in the second half of that game. His, his passer rating for his career in the postseason, much lower than his regular season passer rating. And you're right. It's such a it's a it's. You depend on your teammates in the game of football. It's not a one-man situation, right? Like, the, these are, are oh. big, big rosters. I, I understand that. But, boy, that defense played really well against against the Chiefs and limited them to yeah. zero points in the second half. How do you evaluate Lamar Jackson in the postseason in an overall sense? 
I think in an overall sense, he, he, you know, you got to remember Lamar. Lamar basically, this offense has led the league in rushing for years because of Lamar. Lamar is going to run the football. Lamar is going to. And as a matter of fact, I noticed in that game yesterday that he didn't run with reckless abandon. He ran and slid. He ran and got down. He didn't try and run over people until a little bit later in the game. Um, you know, he didn't throw the ball that well. He had some go routes where he overthrew the guys. And, you know, you get Patrick who can throw and Lamar, who basically isn't the kind of thrower that, you know, you've seen before. Didn't, didn't throw it that well in that particular game. Um, I thought Spags did an unbelievable job. This is what we're going to do. We're going to rush people, okay? We're going to rush Lamar. We're going to contain Lamar. And if they, he beats us in one-on-one coverage, throwing the football, then we deserve to lose. But you're going to have to prove to me, basically, I think Spags is saying to Lamar, you're going to have to prove to me that you can handle pressure, that will keep you in the pocket, we're not going to let you off on one of these 40-yard runs, and if you complete passes to the guys that are covered one-on-one, good for you. And that was, that was Kansas City's game plan. I get, it, it, you, they had so many people at the line of scrimmage, didn't know who to block half the time. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you, you know, can remember a, a team you're on that was in quite this position, but they flashed the graphic on, on the broadcast. I can't remember what the exact number was, but it was, you know, the Ravens just haven't played from a deficit that large anytime recently. Forget this season. It's been going back a couple of seasons now. What do you think it does mentality or, or you know, in tr- to a team's mentality to have a team like the Chiefs who are so comfortable in any game? They've come back to win Super Bowls. Forget, you know, a conference championship game versus a team like the Ravens who, you know, they've been front runners all year long and I'm not going to kill them for getting out front and winning every game handily or the games they've won, but you just haven't really seen this happen to this team this year. How much do you think that played into it? Was it was just a team that, that hadn't really been rocked like that in the, in the way they were? Well, you have to be able to throw the football late in the game. You have to be able to make plays in the passing game, and that's something Baltimore was not able to do. They just weren't able to make plays in the passing game late in that game. San Francisco always plays from in front. But yet Brock was able to make plays throwing the football. Uh, so, uh, you know, when you, when you really look at games late, it's like Patrick Mahomes, the ability to throw the football late. Um, Jared Goff, basically, I thought he played a heck of a game. Mm-hmm. I thought he did a heck of a job. Again, didn't get the support he needed. Uh, the, the Ravens, you know, made some, you know, just bad decisions taunting. You know, I, I didn't agree with the 15-yard penalty uh, when, well, I guess, Rokon jumped off sides. I mean, you know, he, he was firing off. The offensive lineman hit the ground, and that's a 15-yard penalty. I didn't agree with that. Overall, I thought the officials did an, a, a very good job. Of uh, these, are, these are high emotional games. I thought they did a good job of, of refereeing the game on both sides. And uh, they kept a lid on it. You know, the the obviously the Raven game – uh, had to have a lid on it. I mean, there was a lot of emotion running in, in that particular game. So on both sides, and you know, Kelsey kept basically trying to stick his nose in and getting getting them hot, and it worked a couple times. You know, it, it actually worked a couple times. So, you know, you have to understand who you play and the way they play. And to me, the Ravens just, the, you know, the emotions got the best of them. But if you're gonna if you're gonna come back in a game. You basically have to be able to throw the football to get yourself in position to win. 
Pretty tough to win a football game, too, when you lose the turnover margin 3 nothing, and two of those turnovers come in the end zone, right? Oh. Like one on the goal line and one in, yeah. uh, an interception in the end zone. Pretty tough to, to get the couple of drops that you got out of Josh Reynolds if you're a Lions fan and, and win that game. And, boy, I guess we're talking about Dan Campbell's going for it on fourth down a little bit differently. If Reynolds catches the, the ball in the first attempt to go uh, for it on fourth down instead of kicking the field goal, what did you what did you what did you think of Dan Campbell's aggressiveness? I mean, it's it's been his MO all season long and part of the reason they're there, but in a situation where, you know, it's it's a, it ends up being a three-point game and obviously sliding door moments, we can't replay the game at those points, but yeah, you 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 give up the opportunity to kick two field goals and you end up losing by three. It's hard not to point the finger. Well, you know, I, I didn't I I think you take points when you get them, especially in a game like this. When you can go up three scores, when you can, you know, add points, I think you do that. Now, I'm, I'm not a big analytics guy. From an analytics standpoint, from my, my perspective, the way I look at it, is, you know, you, you play the game the way the game is being played. We saw this with Kyle Shanahan against the New England Patriots when it was the offensive coordinator of the Atlanta Falcons. Biggest comeback in Super Bowl history. And, and I, I, remember, I believe I remember Kyle saying, you know, this is who we were all year and this is who we were going to be. That doesn't apply. It's what's happening in this game. Where is the momentum? Where do I get points? You, go, you know, fourth and, a, fourth and a, a half a yard, I can understand. Fourth and two, fourth and three, yeah, you've converted it before, but you're giving up points. You're giving up points at a very critical point in the game. So that one, I, you know, that one I didn't necessarily agree with. Uh, but, you know, like, you know, he was true to what he believed. His football team got there, and, you know, he's a heck of a football coach. It's a heck of a football team. I don't think we've seen nor heard the last of the Detroit Lions. Mm. Um, I think, you know, the shots they had of, of them at the stadium was just, oh, that's cool. you know, the, 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 was, it was cool. I mean, it's just it really, really was an incredible experience, and that's what football is. That's the energy and the excitement that goes into it. And, you know, I've, we didn't have analytics when I played. <laughs> you, made, you made smart decisions. You didn't let some statistics tell you what to do. Mm-hmm. Or somebody suggests that the statistics say do this. You feel, you, you know, he felt it in his gut that that's what he wanted to do. He felt like his team could do it. They did it before, and he went with it. And I respect that tremendously. Yeah, and uh, stood up at the, the podium and, and defended his decision-making. I will see if it, uh, it continues next season. Joe, uh, this was great. Thanks so much for doing this. Hey, good catching up with you guys. Should be a great Super Bowl. Can't wait for it. Uh, Joe Theismann, Super Bowl champion. Um, couple of things here. See, so, yeah, we, we didn't talk amongst ourselves about the Brock Purdy of it all. And you, I th- yeah. think, okay. be on the record for, uh, as Please. far as your Brock, Brock Purdy um, assessment, whether, okay, in regards to the discourse, because mm-hmm. the discourse is this guy is total game manager yeah. and anybody could do what Brock Purdy does. And the idea of him being an MVP candidate is outrageous, which was a thing. Mm-hmm. Middle of the season, among the, I believe he was the betting favorite at one point yes, to win the MVP this year. Mm-hmm. Where are you on Brock Purdy? Uh, a believer, but I do not think he's the MVP. I do not think there should have been a time where he's the MVP. I'm still a believer that he is a guy who has been buoyed along by his skill position players. Having said that, 
the more reps you get, the better you get. And so much of being a quarterback is being calm, cool, and collected and taking what's available to you. And if that's a check down, great. If that's scrambling with your legs to make a play, great. I am slowly buying more and more. I I think that you cannot look at him as Mr. Irrelevant. I don't think you can look at him as purely a game manager. I also don't look at him necessarily in the same vein. I look at a guy like Jared Goff who has to do more with less. And I know Gibbs is a nice play Mm -hmm. piece and Laporta and St. Brown, but let's not pretend it's what's going on. No, the the bar of success is lower for him. Yep. He just has more support. He is a better head coach, more weapons. That's all well and good. The San Francisco 49ers made a Super Bowl, had a 10 point lead with Jimmy Garoppolo. Yep. Here's the thing about that 49ers team though. And, and Joe hit on it. Like that team couldn't come back from deficits. Mm-hmm. And that was the question mark around this San Francisco team. Could they come back from deficit? Well, they just came back from 17 points down in the second half against the Detroit Lions. They just came back from 10 points down against the Green Bay Packers. And it hasn't been spectacular. And certainly the Packer game specifically because mm-hmm. Brock Purdy was a god awful mm-hmm. through three quarters of that football game in some inclement weather. And it's not like he was throwing dimes in the second half of yesterday's game, but to Joe's point, he made the plays when he had to make it, whether that was with his legs or with his arm. I, I think it's fine to assess Brock Purdy as like clearly not on the same skill level as a Patrick Mahomes mm-hmm. or a Lamar Jackson or, yeah, even a Jared Goff. I mean, there's a reason why guys go in the first round and yep. why guys go dead last in in uh, in the NFL draft. But the idea that he's just like some placeholder dude that anybody could do the job, I think is outrageous too. How about he's just like a middle-of-the-road quarterback who, yes, was given an incredible opportunity, but not everybody's going to be able to get to 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 take advantage of that opportunity the way he has. Yeah, I I agree. I, I don't think he's a top seven, eight quarterback, but I think given what he's been able to do, there are a lot of guys who moments would be way too big for, and that's such a big part of being a quarterback. Like game manager is used derisively and, you know, rightfully so sometimes, but guess what? Managing these games, mm-hmm. that's one thing to manage a week two game. No, that's it. This is different. This Patrick Mahomes was a game manager yesterday. He was. And, you know, th- this is not me trying to poo-poo on Patrick Mahomes. I know this is a sensitive topic around here. I think Purdy had a more impressive game yesterday than Patrick Mahomes. Like, I'm not – like, I don't think Mahomes was dreadful. I don't think yeah. he was bad. But I think that given what I mean, Purdy had to do coming from behind, the fact that he played a team that was mm-hmm. actually pushing and doing stuff, unlike the Ravens yesterday. Sure. I, I just think he – he had a more impressive game than Mahomes. No, and there's He's a, not better. No, and there's an argument to be made there because hey, Patrick Mahomes scored no points in the second half. Guess yep. what? I, I I'm of the belief if he had to score points in the second half, oh, this is he Jack Morris. Scored. He was pitching. He was pitching to score. Yeah. No, I'm I'm, I'm not like I'm saying that tongue in cheek, but I agree. Oh, yeah, I don't agree with the Jack Morris no, thing because no, I, I think that I don't I, think you can. I know. You, I know. I just yeah. Knew as that was my, and and I yeah. And we've done some studies about like those <laughs> games that Jack Morris claims that hey, I was throwing it over the middle of the plate because we we're up a million runs, and that's not truly the case. Um, but no. <laughs> Patrick Mahomes starts the game 11 for 11 and scores a couple touchdowns because he's Patrick Mahomes. He's like, oh, we got to get out to a lead. Yep. And he does that. And then he takes care of the ball the rest of the way. And he's like, oh, we need a first down to win the game. Here's 30 yards to Marquez Valdez-Scantling, yep. his second catch of the game. The, the other thing about the Chiefs and where they figured it out, I mean, part of it is you get Hall of Famer Travis Kelsey looking like a Hall of Famer who only had five touchdown passes during the regular season, mm-hmm. has three now. In, in three yep. postseason uh, games, that certainly helps when he catches all 11 balls that were thrown his way. But you're just, you're cutting out everybody else. Like, there's no Kadarius Tony. There's no. barely a Marcus Valdez-Scantling. Yeah. Two catches yesterday. 
It's Travis Kelsey, mm-hmm. and it's Rasheed Rice, and it's Isaiah Pacheco. That's yep. it. That's that's those are the guys you trust, and nobody else matters. And it's taken until the postseason, maybe not to figure that out, mm-hmm. but to like finally go to that game plan. That, and with that defense, it, it's working. Yeah, the defense is such a big, big part of it. And again, no shame in that. Uh, so, yeah, I cannot wait. It's going to be fun two weeks to talk about this. And the great news is we're going to get an incredible narrative one way or another. Yeah, and uh, and Taylor Swift is going to be at the Super Bowl. Despite the ta- fact that she gave the, the Heisman things. she gave the Heisman to the NFL and they asked her to perform at the halftime, and she's there anyways. Yeah. Too good to work, but happy to sit around and watch. All right. This has been the uh, Fan Morning Show. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590. The Fan, good morning. morning.